So we are starting this journey on uh, the Gospel of Mark, as if you haven't figured that out yet, you're not awake today. And so we are, we are starting this new journey on, on, you know, into this gospel. Many of us grew up around the church in Sunday school and heard about the different gospels, the four gospels, and, and reading this. And, and so, you know, it's so important for us to maybe just step back a bit and kind of look at it for the first time. That's what our desire is in this journey, is that we stop for a minute Instead of just looking at it very quickly, and it's a familiar word, that we begin to look and glean from it what God is trying to say to us in every passage. And so we are doing it very in very small sections, and that's why it's going to take us a while. But our desire uh, is to get the most out of what we're doing together as a church as we go through this Gospel of Mark. Uh, and you'll see the theme uh, that we are looking at, and is very much known uh, that Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is the servant king. And uh, I had this, with help if I turned it on, there we go. Uh, I had this thought, you know, what's the difference between a hero and a celebrity? You know, what's, what's the difference? Because we live in a day, right? We look at heroes, we see this idea of heroes, we've heard that word, we see celebrities all around us, and so what's the difference? There is a major difference. Because a hero, what a hero is, a hero is someone who does good for others. They do good for others at their own personal cost and sacrifice. That's a hero. Um, one of the examples that I was studying is that, you know, there's lots of heroes, but one, for example, was Father Damien. I don't know if you've ever heard about Father Damien. He was from 1870, and Father Damien uh, had a burden to share those, the least and the lost and the left out of society. Christine, you know what you were sharing about today? That they would know Jesus, and you guess where he went? He went to an island in Hawaii where there was leprosy, and he was preaching and living his life out before lepers. He decided to do that. The sadness of that story is he contracted the disease himself, and he died of leprosy right there in that colony where he served and loved the people for Christ. We would say that Father Damien is a hero because he, at a personal sacrifice, served others. That's a true hero. Now, a celebrity, on the other hand, is someone who wants to be what? Famous, right? They go around to be famous. They produce and package fame. Uh, you know, it has to do with how many tweets you have, how many followers you have, all that aspect. And you know, the truth of it is there's usually no deeds of sacrifice. There's no personal cost. Somebody said, just think of the example of a, of a singing celebration a celebrity, a person who sings and everyone's following her because she sings. And some said, some of them, if you ever heard them live, they can't hold a tune. <laughs> right? They can't even hold a tune. You hear them at a, well, you know how you find that out? COVID hits and you begin to follow them as they put up their YouTube in their living room singing with a guitar. And you can tell pretty soon who's the good singers and who are the ones that it's just all about fame. And so they usually don't do anything really about others. It's all about themselves. You know, we live in interesting days. If we're not careful as the church, we're looking for a celebrity. We're looking for people who are famous. We're looking for people who we want to follow their lives and we want to be rich and famous like them. 
And the truth of it is the gospel is not about that. Mark starts his gospel seriously to show us that neither Jesus nor his forerunner John was concerned about fame. There's another question I have for you this morning. That John said he came to point to Jesus. Jesus came to point us to the Father. And then there's this question that there's been a book out a while, there's been a lot of discussion, but I think we need to ask that question before we journey together through the Gospel of Mark. Am I a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? See, if I'm a fan, then I'm looking for what I can get out of it. I'm looking for sensationalism. I'm looking for the best next bandwagon to jump on, the next best band, the next best preacher, the next best Christian program on Christian TV. That's what I'm doing when I'm a fan. Because there's no personal sacrifice in that. But Mark is not concerned with that. Mark is looking for true disciples of Jesus Christ. True people who are going to count the cost and follow Christ. So I want to challenge you that we're going to be challenged together as we look at the Gospel of Mark. God is going to say to us time and time again, Are you just a fan? Or are you a follower? Christ. For, for Mark, it is Christian discipleship is all or nothing. There is no in-between. One of the things we want to realize as we back up and we're starting this together is this gospel of Mark, the actual book of Mark, uh, was the first. It's believed to be the first. So the first of four. So we know then if Mark was first, the earliest, it means that there were other, the other three gospels most likely wrote knowing Mark's letter already. Uh, I found something very, very interesting many years ago, um, that up to this point, when anybody had writings, and we remember now there was no printing press, so people had to write, write, transcribe, everything had to be written out, that up to this point there were no books. Uh, everything was on scrolls. So now you imagine if you're going to a Bible study tomorrow night and you had to take the big scroll of Isaiah with you <laughs> to open it up and read it. Chances are you probably wouldn't bring it very far, right? It, it was only in the synagogues, in those places. Remember that Jesus, when he, when he was there in, in Nazareth in the synagogue, was to say that they opened up the scroll and he read from the book of Isaiah. And, and so that was the norm of people's lives. I mean, nobody had books. Nobody had anything like that that we, we again, are we blessed? We're blessed because we have this. We have it in every form that we want to look at God's Word. There's no excuse. We can all read it. We can all read the Gospel of Mark. And so they didn't have any of that. Now they had the Old Testament um, scrolls. So what happened, which is really interesting, Mark is one of the first Gospels we're telling you, and, and what early Christians did was early Christians believed that the message of Jesus Christ was so important that they began to take the big scrolls and write on it and fold it so they could put it in their satchel, so they could put it under their arm and carry the word of God with them wherever they went. And so we believe one of the first books that were ever in book form that was carried around was the Gospel of Mark. And so it's not just the fact that we've got the book of God, right, that we can give God praise, but just the fact that any time you pick up a book, to read. It is because they felt it so important, the early church, to bring the good news that we have writing even in this format today. That's kind of exciting to think about. 
And so we, when we look at this first gospel, the gospel it was the first uh, time that it was this new literary style. Before Mark, there was nothing ever in writing referred to as a gospel. Mark is the first one, again, so excited about the message of Jesus Christ that he starts a new literary style. And so somebody says, well, it's important for us to realize that the gospel was not a story so much. Uh, it was so much more. It was not a biography. It was so much more. It was not just history. It was so much more that it is called the gospel of Mark. And then the other three will be called gospels. Because he wanted to tell you about the good news about Jesus Christ. That's what makes the gospel the gospel. Mark was not one of the twelve. We're not even sure if he was uh, a follower of Jesus around that time. He could have been at a distance, you know, but not the close-knit group of the twelve. But we believe, uh, most believe, that he wrote Peter's uh, story. He wrote Peter's eyewitness accounts. That's why it's like Mark will bring you right there where it happened. He wants you to see it. And it was probably because he was writing out the story as Peter was sharing it. Because the early church, as we said, didn't have this. The story was told verbally. And they felt it so important that now many years had passed. And all of those 12 disciples, some of them have already uh, been killed and died. And they're worried that the message is not going to get carried out. So they decide we need to put this in writing, the gospel, the good news, so that it can go forth. For generations to come. Isn't that something to be thankful for this morning? That we know the gospel and we have been set free by the good news of Jesus Christ because somebody decided to take the time and write it down. That we needed to hear this story. And it's also believed that it was written for the Gentiles. Matthew very much is written for the Jews. It's, it, you know, they, of course, we all read it. But it was directed towards the Jews. Mark was actually directed to the Gentile world. And it was actually believed that he wrote it towards the Romans, wanting to see the Romans converted to the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the most translated book, and the most translated book of the Bible. And one of the reasons for that is that it's the shortest gospel, but it is also uh, one that helps people who are unfamiliar with Judaism. So it's a good place to start. Some of us started in John, others have started in the Gospel of Mark or Matthew, but Mark is a good gospel if you want someone that doesn't know anything about Christianity, doesn't know anything about the faith, have them read the Gospel of Mark. It's a good place to start to hear about Jesus. See, Mark's intention is that you come face to face with Jesus. That's his intention. That's our intention as we read it now and study it together, that you come face to face with Jesus. That is his desire. And he knows that when he came face to face with Jesus, it brought him so much joy. He knows that those 12, when they came face to face with Jesus, it brought them so much joy. And his desire is that when you come face to face with Jesus, it brings you great joy as you hear about this good news. You'll find the Gospel of Mark quick-moving. It gets right to the point. You'll find the catchphrase for over 40 times. Immediately, immediately, immediately. You'll hear that a lot in the Gospel of Mark. And we see Jesus here, as we said, as servant king. 
See, for Mark, it's important for him to see you, uh, to see a Messiah that is busy at doing God's work. He emphasizes what Jesus did, his deeds, more than what Jesus taught. And so we have seen that we're going to be looking in the weeks ahead, Jesus, the servant king. Now we get to this first verse that we heard Oliver read. And we hear this word being used, gospel. Not the book now, but the actual gospel. It's like a trumpet call uh, sounding out right at the beginning of this first chapter. I want to tell you about the good news of Jesus Christ. So more accurately, it is called the glad tidings. We've heard, many of us have grown up in the church, we've heard the word gospel, we've heard the word good news. And we've heard it around. But, but basically, because there's supposed to be joy in this, the better translation is the glad tidings of Jesus Christ. We want you to hear the glad tidings. A cry of joy, someone said. A cry of joy about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, according to Mark. And so that's really what we're looking at as we come to this first part, this first verse. Now, I know some of you this week, I know I've had teenagers at home and it's time to go to school. One of the major adjustments is what? Getting up in the morning. Getting up in the morning and not missing your bus for many of them that are bus. Uh, I know as parents, you get them an alarm, it never worked. Didn't matter what it did, even if it played their favorite music, they just sleep through the whole thing. You get there and open up the bedroom door, wake up! You need to wake up. You're going to miss your bus. You're going to be late for school. Look at all the parents. Even some of these ones that are grandparents now, their heads are shaking because they remember. Right? Get up. You need to get up. You need to wake up. And, and I know sometimes our guys would just roll over and groan. Ten more minutes. And maybe you even need to splash some cold water on their faces. Parents, there's an idea for you this week. Get, get a spray bottle or something that you can just spray them with wet, cold, icy water. That'll get them up. Why do I say that? Well, well, at the beginning of this Gospel of Mark, that's what Mark is trying to say to us. Wake up. It, it's time now, people. That's what this first statement is saying here. The first words of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Wake up, people. There is something about to happen. There's something good about to happen. I know there's a chorus that we sing, right? There's something good about to happen. That's what Mark is saying here. It's time to wake up. Because it's not a sentence here. He's not, there's no verbs in this, for those that know grammar. I'm not great at grammar. There's no verbs here. Notice that. It's a statement. It's a theme. It's an announcement. The first words of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He uh, tells us first, Jesus. Jesus is a name. It is the Greek form of the name Joshua. It says that God saves. So he's already telling you Jesus' name. Uh, God saves. God saves has arrived. Then he gives a title, not a name, called Christ. And Christ is the Greek word for the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. And so he says, Jesus, God saves, the anointed king has arrived. That's pretty exciting. That makes me want to read the book. I hope it makes you want to read the book. 
Mark wants us to know that God is ready and willing to rule our lives, and he is our Savior, Lord, and King. And so this good news began with Jesus, but before Jesus was John, and before John were the prophets. And so he starts off to tell us that what the prophets knew as mystery, as the psalm says, now is a reality. He's here. The prophets foretold of the time, and they sent out a runner that would come before this great Messiah, King. And so it's time, people. Wake up. He's coming. He has come. And so as we see that all of a sudden Mark tells us and quotes Isaiah, and he says, you know, go up, Isaiah said, go up high on a mountain, you who proclaim the gospel of Zion. That's where this has been heard before. So as those that read Mark and those that, that were there in the presence of John the Baptist, they would say, wait a minute, we've heard this before. Isaiah, the prophet, prophesied this, the gospel, the evangelon, the good news. And so Isaiah says, go up on the high mountain, you who proclaim the gospel to Zion. Lift up your voice with strength, you who proclaim the gospel to Jerusalem. Lift up and do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. You know, it reminds me of Handel's Messiah. Glad tidings, right? This beautiful song. But what is he saying to us as the church? Go up to the high mountain, church, despite COVID. <laughs> Lift high your voice with strength, church. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the world, behold, Jesus Christ. It doesn't stop. The good news is to continue on. And so we see that he's telling us that God's promises are true and amen. So what God had told through the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Malachi is now becoming in a reality into fruition. Malachi said, a messenger of God will go ahead of you. And Isaiah in 43 said, one who will prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. You know, it's, it's like right here, Mark is telling us that God is like that wounded lover. He says to his people, he says to us today, I will come to my people and nothing will keep me from them. Nothing. Mountains will be torn down, valleys will be filled in, rough places made smooth, whatever it takes. And my friends, Mark is saying that's good news. That God is the wounded lover who comes and looks for us when we have forgotten him and are not looking for him. He comes looking, seeking us. And then there's this strange character. <laughs> John the baptizer. John the baptizer we see here. But we need to understand as we back up at the beginning of Mark that now for centuries the Jews have heard nothing. We struggle if you can't get something for a week. I've heard it. Pastor, what's happening? Isn't there a sermon on going to be online this week? What's going on? 300 years plus, they've heard nothing. There's been no word of the Lord. There's been no prophet. There's not been anyone sharing anything. You think you get depressed after a week of COVID? Imagine 300 years when every time you gather at the bakery, have you heard anything yet? No, I haven't heard a thing. God's just forgotten us. We're left, we're deserted, we're done. Oh, did you hear about politics? Did you hear about the Romans? <laughs> you hear about Herod lately? 
Caiaphas, you can see how depressing that could become. How difficult that would be, right? And so here is where they come. It's been hundreds of years, centuries, that no one has heard anything. They're under Roman rule. They feel like they are forgotten, that God no longer cares. And all of a sudden, with sheer joy, they begin to hear of this weird character that's out in the wilderness talking about God and calling people to repentance and putting them under the waters of washing, of baptism. And then we're told in this passage that the Jews flocked out to it. See, we don't really understand that if we think of what I just said. They haven't heard anything for hundreds of years. There have been no prophets. And all of a sudden, they hear a voice calling out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. They flock to it. They can't wait to go out and go under the waters of baptism of John. Now, baptism here in verses 4 to 5, baptism was a time here, John's baptism was a, a baptism of repentance. It was time to repent. God, uh, John is calling them from their meager existence of just getting by in disobedience to immerse into God's grace again, to immerse and become God's people again. That's what he's calling them to. And that's why it's joy, and that's why it's glad tidings and good news, because God is calling his people once again back to himself. And the promises, you will be my people and I will be your God, is about to be fulfilled again. And so they're excited about it. Church, we need to get excited again about the good news about Jesus Christ, Amen. our Savior and King and Lord. See, Jews knew about ritual washing. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, body care and just being clean. That for them was not so important as the ritual cleaning and the ritual cleansing. They had a thing called a mikvah, and the mikvah was this big bath. And you had to go through this ritual washing on a regular basis where you went in one end and out the other. And it was like you walked through it and you were uh, totally cleansed. And that was your cleansing that you were supposed to do as a Jew. And you continued to do uh, all kinds of different times of the day, all kinds of different circumstances. So they knew about that. So what is this about John? What is John calling them out to? And why are they flocking there to go through that waters of baptism in the Jordan? John is basically calling them to what the Gentiles would have to do. This is the mystery here. See, Gentiles, if they wanted to convert to Judaism, would have to go through a baptism. So basically, they would go through a baptism and say, okay, I have been, uh, I've worshipped other gods, I've been a man of sin, I've been a person who's done all kinds of things, but I've heard about this God, and I'm a God-fearer, and I want to become a Jew. Now, they had to do some other things, but we won't talk about that this morning. And the last thing they would do is they would go through this water of cleansing and come out the water, now a part of God's covenant, and a Jew. And the amazing thing is, John is saying, it's not time to go through your mikvah and your little cleansing, it's time to go and have a complete change. It's time for a new beginning. It's a time that the old is done. The old man has died and the new man comes to life. Where have we heard that before? Hmm. It's time for a change, people. 
And the amazing thing is they flocked out to it to go under these waters of baptism, these waters of conversion. But my friends, I want to tell you something. Even here, before you would go through any waters of baptism, there is a washing and cleansing, yes, but it starts with repentance and confession. And so the first thing they had to do, even as good Jews, they had to admit, I have sinned. They had to admit to themselves. I don't know if you've ever been there, and I think we, we don't just admit it once. We admit it over and over and over again to the Lord. We need to get up in the mirror, look in the mirror in the morning, and look at ourselves and say, I'm a sinful woman, I'm a sinful man. We have to come to that place where we admit our faults. We admit how we've fallen short of the glory of God. That's where it starts. And then you have to admit it to others. Oh, that's a part we don't like. We like to admit it to God, and maybe we'll look in the mirror and admit it to ourselves. But we don't always like to admit it to others. Imagine now all these Jews, high officials, priests, Sadducees, Pharisees, lowly people, outcasts, all in that line, walking together to go under the waters at John's baptism. Basically what it is saying is, I'm telling you and you're telling me, I need this. I need this. And my friends, that's why we have an altar in the church. That's why we call for response after many messages. Is because we shouldn't be ashamed to be able to stand up before each other and say, whatever position in life we find ourselves, I need this. <laughs> I need God's grace. I need God's forgiveness. And we're all in this together. I love what people said that the cross is level ground. We all stand on level ground. I don't care what position you have. I don't care what you've done for the Lord and what you haven't done for the Lord. I don't even care if your grandparents brought you to church or you went to an altar at camp. We all stand at the cross. At level ground. You know what's good news about that? If I'm a brand new person walking into the church that has no history at the Elmsdale Church of the Nazarene, I am as welcomed here as someone who has lived all their life here Amen. and were raised here. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all together in the reality that we need God's grace. And so we come confessing. Do you know what's interesting here, too? We're told in verse 3 and 4, the wilderness, this strange character, John, doesn't go into the city, doesn't stand up, in the temple, he goes out into the wilderness, and the people have to leave all of that city life. Amen to that. That's what camping is about. <laughs> Camp meetings about that. Leaving the luxury of city life and getting out into the wilderness to find God. It's not a bad thing. You know, one of the things that somebody said, one of the reasons why we see the wilderness here, first of all, you see the Jordan River. And I've read this many times. It's not till recent years I began to realize the significance of the Jordan River. Where have you heard about the Jordan River before? Hmm. Don't you remember Joshua marching out over the Jordan River? It was a crossing over. It was a symbol that that which God had done where he had taken uh, the Israelites out of Egypt. And as they're out of there, they're wandering around and they were told, you know, they were told to do it and cross over the river into God's promised land. And they refused. And because they refused, 40 years they wandered. And it was their kids, the next generation, that actually got to do that. And so the Jordan River symbolizes a new beginning. 
The Jordan River symbolizes that all of God's promises are yes and amen. That all that you've heard about and talked about as a family. I can imagine those parents for 40 years. You know what? When it's time to cross over, you make sure you cross over. Because heaven forbid, we've been walking around this place for 38 years. I'm sure those young people, and now they're not so young, when it was time to cross over with Joshua, they listened and they were ready to do it into what God had knew. And so it's not just anywhere that John does this baptism. He stands right in the Jordan River and he says to them, it's time for a new thing. The God is doing a new thing. It's time for you to step in and be a part of it. And the people flock because of this glad tidings and good news about God's Messiah is coming and they are getting ready for him. See, it, the wilderness was a place to freedom the wilderness where God led them out of slavery. It was the wilderness that they became a nation. It was in the wilderness uh, that they answered also John the Baptist, who when you read about his clothing is telling you he is Elijah. He is the prophet Elijah. See, they believed that the prophet Elijah would come back before the Messiah and prepare the way. And they were watching for Elijah. And so when it tells you that he was out in the wilderness, that he uh, had no clothing really besides camel's hair and a belt, and he was eating locusts and wild honey, the people knew as soon as they heard it, the, the prophet Elijah has come. The one who prepared the way has come. And that's why they flocked out to the Jordan River. Wilderness was a place of new beginnings, a place to cross over. I want to challenge you this morning, church. Are we ready to cross over into something new that God has for us? Mm -hmm. Well, that's really enthusiastic. <laughs> Pastor Mike and I are ready to cross over. <laughs> are we ready to cross over that God is wanting to do a new thing? That's why I had Pastor Mike read our call to worship. That God says to you, behold, forget the former things. I think in COVID, you need to hear that. Forget the former ways we used to do church. <laughs> we might get back to it. We might not. Forget the former things. God says to us, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Yeah. Do you have the eyes to see it and perceive it? That's why, Christy, I wanted you to share a little bit about what you've learned from COVID. Because despite all of this, there's good that God is bringing out of COVID. And I believe that. There's things we're learning and growing and maturing. One of the things about John the Baptist, uh, I said that about the wilderness, that he was a man of humility. Remember we talked at the beginning about fame. So the people are flocking. They're wanting to see John. They're going through the waters. And John is so careful because he's saying to them, don't look at me. Don't worship me. Don't see me as a celebrity. Don't look for fame. Because I'm only here preparing the way of another. He's the one that you should be focusing on, not me. And he says that scripture, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. See, what John is saying there, the lowest of the lowest of the lowest job in the household was the taking off of sandals and washing feet. And John is saying, I am not even worthy of that. For the one who is to come, I am not even worthy enough to be able to untie his sandal. So don't look at me, look to him, the one who is coming. And then that starts to bring a new meaning and understanding. We've said it often that Jesus, who is our servant king, did not come to uh, 
we serve, but to serve, and put a towel around his waist, and got down on his knees, and washed the feet of sinful men. John says, I'm not even worthy to even do that, the one who is coming. And so we see here that he goes on to say in humility, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The one who is coming is so much greater. John is trying to say to them, Jesus is the Messiah whose, whose uh, ministry will be empowered and infused by the Spirit. John could wash them outward as a sign of repentance. Only Jesus could cleanse of sin and wash their hearts and lives and souls. Just for us to know a little bit, Christian baptism is like John's baptism in the fact that it's an outward sign of an inward reality of repentance. Any of us who have gone through Christian baptism, we are repentant. We're saying, look at me, the old man. Look who I used to be, the old woman. And now I'm changed. I'm repenting of my ways and I want to be changed. And so the baptism doesn't change us. It's the heart that changes us and we go through the waters of baptism as a sign of repentance. But what makes Christian baptism Different. We are now baptized into Christ. These ones still will need to be baptized into Christ. These ones still will need to have an experience with Jesus Christ. And I deal with a lot of people who say to me, Pastor, I was baptized as a child, or I was baptized and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't understand it. You know, there are those baptisms of repentance, but there comes a place where we need to be baptized into the body and life of Christ's death. And so that's why we're told when we go through the waters of baptism, Christian baptism, we've died with Christ. Under the waters, I died. I no longer live. He now is the one who lives in me. And as I come out of the waters of baptism, I'm now in life with Christ. And I'm in his resurrection. And I have a hope and a future and glory. And so Christian baptism, I just wanted to make that clear, is different than John's baptism that we see here. But in humility, John is wanting to prepare the way for others. That's our challenge today, church. We need to be like John, a voice calling. We need to, once again, get excited about the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to again believe that it is transformative, that it can change any situation, any life. It is good news. And that's what we need to be about, the good news, and be excited about it. Show, put a smile on your face when you're talking about Jesus, hallelujah. <laughs> Share your story, how God has changed you and transformed you, and you've never been the same. Talk about when you went under the waters of baptism and why you did it. Share something. <laughs> and may you do it with joy, John is saying here through the Gospel of Mark. He's saying it's glad tidings, it's hope, it's joy, it's glorious. Are you ready for it? So in closing this morning, in this series, we're going to follow Jesus. Amen. We're just going to follow in his footsteps along the way, and we're going to learn more and more about Jesus. But the reality is, if we're fair to the Gospel of Mark, we're going to learn more and more about ourselves. And we're going to be challenged to any of the walls and the barriers we put up, the excuses we make for why we're not following Jesus. And so I'm asking you, are you up to the challenge as we journey together? 
Our ultimate goal anytime we gather around this word and this particular gospel, the good news, is that we walk away changed. That's God's desire. The ultimate goal why we gather in church and put the pulpit up a higher place for the word of God is that we honor the word of God. But not just that we honor the word of God, we honor it enough that we allow it to touch our hearts and lives and we walk out of here a little bit better and a little bit different. That's what God wants us to do as we journey together in this gospel of Mark. And our greatest desire and God's desire for us is that we would be a little bit more like Jesus. <laughs> you think the world could handle that? I think they could. That's what Christian means. Oh, there goes a little Christ. And it just doesn't mean that our, our young people and our children in the church. They say that about tall people and bigger people <laughs> and not so thin people. There goes a Christian. A little Christ. That's what our desire is as we journey together. Do you know, uh, I don't know as a child, any of the kids do it now. Maybe they do it at the farm when they're out in the barns. I'm not sure. And the thing's a little different. But I remember, you know, this game hide and seek, right? Who remembers hide and seek? Never played that as adults. Maybe that'd be a fun thing. I know the youth do it. They put all the lights out and they do it, trying to find each other. You're in youth group. But, you know, the truth of it is, psychologists have said that hide-and-seek is, is popular, but hide-and-seek is not popular because you hide. Because they said, truthfully, what child would want to be alone in the dark and keep quiet? Right? That doesn't make a very exciting evening, quite honestly. Just go sit in the dark, alone, and be quiet by yourself. And especially type A personalities would say, no way. <laughs> what makes hide and seek so exciting is what? Getting found. It's when you get the giggles, when they find you and, and, and all of that. That's what makes hide and seek the game so popular and so exciting. So someone says, so here today at the beginning of Mark, as the worship band comes, team, so here today, at the beginning of Mark, we are reminded that God is coming to find us. We have our ways of hiding, all of us do. When John the Baptist shouts, prepare the way of the Lord. Now listen, because we're distracted, listen. When John the Baptist shouts, prepare the way of the Lord, it's like God has just called out, ready or not, here I come. God is always searching for us, looking for us, and finding us. The question is, do we want to be found by him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this new journey, this new challenge that lies before us in the Gospel of Mark. We thank you for those that are here today. We don't believe it's by a coincidence or circumstance that, that they are here. We believe it is because the God who has always been wooing us and searching for us and looking for us wooed them to this place today to hear the good news once again, yes, to be Father. reminded of this transformation, to be reminded of the joy, yes, the Father. joy of this good news, the joy of Jesus Christ, 
that we have been changed and transformed if we are in Christ. And we will never be the same again. And we are on this journey not to be a fan. We are on a journey to be followers of Jesus Christ. And I can be a follower of Jesus Christ at 2 and 92. Yes. It's something for all ages. It will look different for every age. Mm-hmm. Our journeys are all different. Our, our callings are all different. But we can all be followers of Jesus Christ. Yes, and so God, help us in these days ahead. And I just thank you for this opportunity today to preach your word. Now may it fall on good soil. Yes, Father. And may it produce much fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen.